Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm joined today by some professionals from law enforcement, the legal side of breach investigations, as well as the private sector, talking about how organizations should respond when a breach occurs and what they should be doing in advance of a breach to ensure that they're working effectively with law enforcement. Today, I'm joined by Kenrick Bagnall, who works within the Computer Cybercrime Division with the Toronto Police Service, Imran Ahmad, who works with Miller Thompson, which is a law firm. He is a cybersecurity attorney. John Bazard, who works with Co-op Financial Services, and John Walp, who works as a consultant with KPMG. I'm going to start with you, Kenrick, because you come from the law enforcement background. How sophisticated do you think law enforcement is today when it comes to cybercrime investigations? I think the question of sophistication is uh, its almost relative for the answer. Because you're dealing in an area of technology that's changing weekly and uh, daily almost. It's a challenge to stay ahead of the curve. Um, what I will say is that the, the members of our unit uh, that are investigating cybercrime are not only sworn police officers, but we are also individuals that have technology backgrounds. Uh, we've worked at high levels within the private sector in information technology roles. We hold industry certifications and also are trained in law enforcement in terms of investigations, case management, etc. Uh, it's a challenge to always stay on top in terms of having the latest tools and techniques and technology to work with, and that always comes down to financial resources generally. Uh, but as far as the sophistication of the resources that are working in, in the department, they are good. I think the public and private sector out there needs to know how good they are so that they can engage us more. But we're constantly challenged to, to stay on top of the curve because it's a technology space. Kenrick, would you say that law enforcement has background that qualifies them to investigate some of these types of cybercrimes we see? Absolutely. Not only do we have background from a resume perspective or a CV perspective, but there are several members within our unit who have been designated by the courts as experts, as image experts, as experts on different uh, forms of social media, Facebook, Instagram. Imran, I'm going to come to you. Coming at it from the private sector, you're a cybersecurity attorney and you know you focus on a lot of this and you probably work with law enforcement quite a bit. Do you see law enforcement being educated enough about cybercrime? I'll say that having worked with Kenrick in the past, his department really does stand out and, and so do some of the large metropolitan areas like Montreal and Vancouver. They probably have a lot of capacity as well. That being said, uh, a lot of our clients are nationals so across the country. And when you go outside of the sort of larger metropolitan areas, it's a bit of a mixed bag and you don't necessarily have the level of sophistication and knowledge to deal with uh, sort of complex cyber crimes that are occurring. In, the, in those cases, what we advise our clients to do if they have the means and the, and the desire to do so is to really help law enforcement. So th when they're doing their internal investigation, especially on the technical side, is to prepare the materials and the evidence in a way that will be helpful to law enforcement because they may not have necessarily either the resources or the detailed technical know-how and it may just you know shorten the time period for them to be engaged in a, in a real meaningful way. So um, I'll say certainly uh, Kenrick and his department do a great job. I know RCMP does as well but it really does vary from one region to another. John Walp, and I'll refer to you as John Walp because we have two Johns here <laughs> on our podcast. But you are working with KPMG, but you actually do come from the financial services side of the house. You've worked um, quite a few fraud investigations on your own. Do you see the sophistication of law enforcement in improving when it comes to breach investigations and fraud investigations? Yeah, I think from you know, the U.S. perspective, absolutely. I think specifically around the, uh, the financial services space, I think there was a lot of uh, learning about how the, the banking payments uh, systems work especially like ACH and wire. I think you see more and more 
folks going into um, those organizations, you know, whether it be the Secret Service or the uh, the FBI, they have the technical background, but then they, they learn the investigative skills. And I know from a priority perspective, cyber and all things cyber, right, it's, it's number three on the FBI's uh, list of priorities. And uh, before Director Mueller retired, he testified before Congress that they thought in the not too distant future it would be number one. Um, so that just kind of shows you the level, I think, the, the skill gap that exists as a whole within our industry affects the, you know, the law enforcement folks as, as well. John Bizarre, finally with you. You're with Co-op Financial Services. You used to be with FICO's Card Alert Service for a number of years. Do you see law enforcement being more educated now? Well, law enforcement absolutely has educated themselves tremendously. If you would have picked up a telephone in 2002 and called and said, Hi, um, I'd like to speak to somebody that's you know specializing in financial crime. You probably would have had some blank hold time on the telephone. Not quite so much now. Um, that those times are changing. And remember, you know, before we've been talking so much about data breaches and other buzzwords. Let's just not forget about the FTC's battle against identity theft in general and how reaching out and working <coughs> with law enforcement has also become a monumental universal checkbox. So at every juncture when you report fraud, if you call your financial institution, we need a police report. So you end up as a consumer going to the financial institution uh, and through law enforcement. So from one perspective or another, law enforcement has learned a tremendous amount. They also have a crushing amount of work before them. How well are organizations doing when it comes to incident planning? Are they doing enough in advance to ensure that they're prepared for a breach, such as through tabletop exercises. And Kenrick, we'll, we'll start with you since you're coming at it from the law enforcement background. And certainly having been in the private sector before law enforcement and having been through the 1999 exercise of Y2K preparation, I have a good understanding of, what, of what's required in terms of preparing the you know, disaster recovery business continuity. And such a big part of that is really, uh, and we've talked about it before, is testing is actually putting this plan into to see if this thing can actually hold water. So far, in my experience, law enforcement has not been involved in the early stages of this type of planning, and I think we need to be. There's a lot that we can advise on in terms of if something or when something does happen, who are the first people that we're going to be speaking to? Obviously, we're going to speak to all the CIOs, the CTOs, the technology heads, but uh, we had an incident where one of the first person, persons we needed to talk to was the head of HR. And they were, they were not prepared. They were not prepared first because they didn't think they, they were going to be interviewed. And there was nothing in any of their former paperwork that really spoke to breach of trust in terms of you know, the, the persons of interest within that organization having mishandled the use of computers and the use of computer data, uh, not only uh, committing criminal offenses in those space, but also the breach of trust. So there was nothing that was signed. There was nothing that was inked. They were prepared. I think that it calls for probably better communication with law enforcement so they know what the offenses are on the books, so they can be better prepared. They can be better prepared in terms of knowing who are the first people that we're going to call in an interview room to, to have a discussion with. And when new staff come on board, they can really educate those new staff about what policies and procedures are and have those things in place. Imran, that's probably a nice segue for you because you're coming at it from a legal perspective. Certainly, we recommend they do. But when we go in, we have a conversation, and we always start with the adage, you know, it's not a question of if, it's when. And so we work our way backwards. You've had a breach. You're in litigation. The judge is looking at this. What's the standard that applies? 
Well, the standard is one of reasonableness. You know, did you act as a reasonable organization to protect the information and to be prepared? The standard is not of absolute perfection, but really of a reasonable standard. There are steps you need to take to get to that point. Everything from the board being aware and informed and engaged on cybersecurity matters, all the way down to having protocols and policies in place, doing penetration testing, tabletop exercises, getting cyber insurance if necessary. There's a variety of things that need to occur and not just as a one-off but on a regular basis over and over again to make sure that the cyber resiliency, this is the ability of an organization to get back up after a major cyber attack is really there. You know it's a bit of a mixed bag. You know organizations are aware of the issue they're not necessarily sure how to go about it sometimes and that's where we typically come in. We'll work with the with the board and the senior management a, to socialize them about the, the concerns and the, and the real threat that cyber proposes to them and then sort of to walk them through the process in terms of what they need to do. The bigger piece is quite frankly when you can have the best plan but when an incident does occur tempers and stress level is extremely high. Uh, you have stakeholders, especially shareholders if it's a public breach, asking questions and so you know you have to stress test that plan not just at a high level theoretical assessment but really pushing it and entering understand how it's going to be responding everything from the PR communication, the public disclosures and so on. The last piece I'll point out is a lot of our clients who are Canadian subsidiaries of American companies are often left out of the loop in terms of the testing that occurs and often in Canada Canada, they'll be operating almost autonomously. They may have the same back end, but they will not have the same people responding. And when you have to notify regulators and law enforcement and the public in Canada, which is a unique mix, if you wish, you need to have them engaged as well. So we're seeing more and more American companies asking Canadian subsidiaries to do that as well. And John Wall, working with a lot of clients, you're advising yeah. clients, you may have a perspective that's similar to Imran's. I've seen organizations get better uh, in terms of identifying the key roles, and it depends on, I guess, the level of maturity of the organization, how sophisticated they are, and what kind of threats that they see. I, I think the big gap that I see in talking to clients, and you saw a lot of this in the financial industry, is really having the discussion about what the key business processes are and you know there may be during a cyber attack a prolonged attack where somebody might have to make a decision on what systems come up first and in what order and based on risk right so the example I always use is if it's a large commercial bank um, you know there might have to be a decision to bring up the, the, the systems uh, the bank's commercial systems prior to the retail bank I and mean, that is that clear communicate and understood by the different business lines so I think understanding the end-to-end -end business process and the effect a particular cyber attack might have on it is really, I think, a missing component in a lot of these things. And then I guess you could take it one step further and then look at what dependencies you have on third-party vendors, right? If this vendor had an issue that was cybersecurity related, what would it do to the core risk of the organization? I think that's really a missing component to the business process mapping and how it fits into your incident response map. Because I think people know the technical components of it and how to kind of recover and maybe make the right phone calls, but what does it really mean to the business if this service is down or if this thing is down for you know five or six hours. And then John Bazard will close with you. You're with Co-op Financial Services, so obviously you're working with a lot of banking institutions, you know, more specifically credit unions. Do you see there being more preparation in advance of an incident? There absolutely is. We do a lot of conversations with credit unions today, and we've kind of adopted this acronym of PTI. So planning is essential for the most part in terms of just breaking down a cyber plan into four pieces so that you can actually test it on a quarterly basis is pretty essential. I don't think any organization could adequately on an annual basis take an exercise that wouldn't involve you know weeks and weeks and weeks worth of um, preparation. But to prepare for that, break it into four pieces and then test it, 
And then after you test these plans and you have to figure out how can we improve them, you know, how long did it take us in our hypothetical exercise this last quarter to achieve our goals and can we best it, can we make it better? Where do we stumble on it? Because that evaluation process is pretty critical and we forget. I mean, you put this on a shelf and you forget about it and you have to trot it back out again and re revisit everything. Well, I appreciate everyone's contributions today. Thank you again for your time. And just to remind our audience, we've just been joined by Kenrick Bagnell, who works within the Computer Cybercrime Division within the Toronto Police Service, Imran Ahmad, who is a cybersecurity attorney with the law firm Miller Thompson, John Bazard, who is with Co-op Financial Services, and John Walb, who is with the consultancy KPMG. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.